Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. It's all over for the Cats and the celebration's about to start for Carlton. How's the roar, the crowd? It would have been an amazing atmosphere, those big finals games, including the grand final. And yesterday we had a big segment on the 50th anniversary of the 1970 grand final with Teddy Hopkins on the program. And tomorrow officially marks, I think, 25 years since the 1995 grand final, which was also coincidentally won by Carlton, albeit in more dominant fashion. And aside from Essendon's 2000 lineup, the 1995 season for Carlton is probably considered as the most dominant in VFL, AFL history. Fate for Glenn Manton served him well as he departed Essendon at the end of 1994 and ended up playing in a premiership with Carlton the following year. He became a cult figure with the Blues, very, very fondly remembered by fans as a reliable defender. And I'm pleased to say that Glenn Manton joins me on the line to reflect on that 1995 premiership and some of the great finals matches he played in. Thanks for your time, Glenn. Evening, Damien. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Can you believe it's been a quarter of a century since that flag? Well, let me just say, given 2020, where every day has been a blurs day, yes. uh, it, it's just not uh, not at all hard to think that anything has taken 25 years. This year's taken 25 years. <laughs> it has too. It has felt like that. Uh, you, of course, are known as a very, very much an extrovert, a great larrikin and personality, as we saw on the footy show for many years. And as a player, how have you been coping with isolation? Well, I've been quite lucky, to be quite honest, because I've been able to uh, still access the running track at Newport next to the chimney over here in the western suburbs. So I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. I've been busy writing my latest book and I've been indulging every Porsche 964, 911 video that I can on YouTube. I think I've just about watched all of them. Uh, so in, in all seriousness, it's been tough for me like everyone else. I haven't worked since the middle of March. My business has been completely decimated due to social distancing. So it's tough and I think the hardest part of it is just your sense of purpose. But as I alluded to, I've been able to build in routine around other aspects of my life and uh, like again, everyone else, yourself included, Damien, I'm just hoping like hell that with the... Uh, the sun, the sun, we can find some real respite and come together as a community because it's much needed. Absolutely. And just on that point about coping with isolation, what are your thoughts on the players and how they've coped in the hubs? And how do you think you would have gone back in the day with that crew in the mid-90s with Carlton in a Queensland hub? <laughs> I would have really struggled, as I think most people uh, would or have in that situation. I'm actually good friends with Joe Ingalls, the uh, NBA basketballer, and we were talking quite regularly during his time in the bubble in Orlando, and he was doing it tough away from uh, family and uh, and friends and, and just the, the basic cultural aspects of your life on an everyday level that make you feel balanced and, and give you that sense of home and connectedness that I think obviously allow us as individuals to perform at our best when we do have the escape of stepping out onto a football field or enjoying time with friends uh, in a sporting context. So 
whilst uh, you introduced me, as I said, as an extrovert off the top of the, the show, I certainly like my own space. I certainly like my own time. I certainly like to get away from football. So to be in that bubble 24-7, I think would have been very, very challenging for me, let alone anyone else. We're speaking with former Bomber and Carlton great Glenn Manton. And if you have any text messages in terms of questions, you can send them through 0433981116. Just on the 95 flag, will you have a Zoom reunion tomorrow? And do you still keep in touch with many of those premiership teammates today, albeit virtually? <laughs> I have not heard from anyone really around that premiership. Really? Uh, celebration or time. No, I, I think everyone obviously is hunkered down with COVID. But unfortunately, I think the Carlton Football Club are running a fairly strong narrative around the here and now. And they probably haven't paid enough attention to the past history of the club and what's been achieved by the many people who've contributed to it. So I am hoping that once restrictions ease and life gets back to some sense of normality, there will be an opportunity to celebrate 25 years and, and the tremendous achievements that every player and uh, official and, uh, of course, support staff can put together to, to achieve that particular win on that day. Uh, it is important, of course, to live in the here and now, but it always needs to be blended with the fabric of the past. So I think that's something that uh, is certainly on the to-do list for the current football club, if not uh, over the next few months, but certainly in 2021. That these things need to be recognised. Just on that point about recognising past players and history, do you think they've taken their eye off the ball a bit, the Carlton Football Club, in recent years, even before COVID? Look, I think the one true asset that the Carlton Football Club has, Damien, probably beyond most in the competition, possibly with the exception of a, of a Collingwood and an Essendon, is that nostalgic aspect. Uh, they are one of the most winning clubs in terms of premiership. They have had some extraordinary players and contributors uh, on and off the field for a number of years. And I think everybody enjoys having that nostalgic feeling uh, permeate through uh, whatever space it is that you're in uh, in life. It's just nice to have a little bit of a blend of the, the past and the current and also the future. I think when you're just looking towards the future, you're not really digging into your bag of tricks from the past. And there's a lot to be learned from the past, uh, some good, some bad. And I think it's important, not just for the Carlton Football Club, just for any sporting club, let alone business, to just, just have an eye eye to what has taken place before you got there. It was, it was actually a really important part of my time at the Carlton Football Club, wearing a, a number that will forever be uh, associated with Harry Soapy Balance. Uh, and to to, to recognise him each and every time I, I walk past a, a picture of him, to recognise him as the, the owner, if you like, the, the, the forebearer, if you like, of that particular number, uh, is important to me because whatever I achieved at that at that time at that club, it's just a stepping stone, but it's a stepping stone that needs to be set set in set in concrete, if you like, so that people can move forward from it. We're speaking with Glenn Manton here on SEN. And in regards to that 1995 premiership and the lead-up to it, when you were delisted by Essendon at the end of 94, what was your initial reaction and impression of heading to Carlton at the start of 95? Because many in the media, and I know you probably wouldn't listen to the media as a player, but I know a lot of people have written them off at that stage as too old and too slow. Well, yeah, first and foremost, Damien, I was actually delisted in the pre-season. So I was essentially delisted in March, if you will, and um, being picked up by Carlton in that pre-season draft. So that, that came as a huge shock to me uh, to get the uh, 
the exit uh, strategy handed to me at Essendon, and uh, you know, no, no, no life jacket. You were just out the uh, parachuted out the side and into the abyss, and hopefully you could swim to shore. And I managed to make it to shore where. Uh, remarkably, I was met by the Carlton Football Club, which really wasn't a club that had shown any significant interest in me publicly. I was courted heavily by St Kilda and by uh, the Swans uh, were very, very keen. And, and I must admit, looking back on it, I, I probably ran away from the Sydney opportunity. And then on mm. that particular draft day, the preseason draft, all of a sudden, I'm heading to Carlton and I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> this is quite extraordinary. This is not where I expected myself to be. And to come full circle back to your question, I really wasn't aware of ages and identities of players at the Carlton Football Club. They were just great players whom I'd seen from afar and now I was a part of that space and I was basically handed a football jumper that I'd been wanting to get my whole uh, my hands on for my entire football career in, in number 22. I'd, I'd chased number 22 my whole time at Essendon, mm. uh, never to get hold of it. And all of a sudden, I'm walking to Carlton, being handed 22. I'm clearly in a good situation. I'm clearly around some good players, some good people. And the next thing you know, it's grand final day and I'm part of a premiership team. It's an extraordinary story. Absolute whirlwind it must have been, Glenn. We're speaking with Glenn Manton here on SEN. You played 12 matches that year, and it was a relatively clinical home and away season, the way the Blues played. Mm. What was the main element, do you think, behind Carlton's dominance that year? I think it was a perfect storm, Damien. There was a really, really good fit within the team. You had so many complementary players and skill sets, and you could look at the forward line just as one particular aspect of that. You've got Stephen Kernahan, who you might classify as a rock, if you like. You've got an Earl Sporting, Sporting who's a some sort of battering ram. You've got uh, Brad Pierce, who had an absolutely electrifying season or a couple of seasons there where he was probably one of the best forwards in the game. Uh, and certainly in terms of his, uh, I guess, success rate around possessions, he was he was on the scoreboard more often than not. And then you had all the, the likes of the, the Clapes and, and those sorts of, uh, you know, third or fourth string. And I don't mean that with any disrespect whatsoever. And all of a sudden they kicked two or three goals. So you, that's just the forward line. Of course, the midfield and the back line were a similar situation. So, uh, you're probably going to ask this question, so I might be a bit preemptive here. Right. I knew, I knew we'd, we we would win that grand final, mm. months out, absolutely <laughs> months out. I, I I had I had a space set aside for the medal at home. I thought this is uh, an absolute lay down there, and it proved to be. Absolutely. Probably the only thing you wouldn't have preempted was Peter Dean jumping on the dais and falling off when he accepted the <laughs> medal. That's been replayed more so now. <laughs> Well, with the work that I do, I'm in contact with a lot of young people, having a, a, an enormous number of conversations week to week with young people, literally hundreds contacting me through my social media, which is all about that contact, not the actual social media itself. Mm. And must have been recently that somebody posted, and I'm assuming it was the AFL, posted footage of him doing that mm. and, and doing that being, as you said, <laughs> trying to basically surf the dais. And I had literally hundreds of young people contact me saying, who is this guy? What was he doing? Is he a maniac? And some of them were 
deeply offended by it. They thought it was ridiculous. Others thought it was the best thing they'd ever seen. But they just obviously, as, as we've said right off the top, 25 years ago, most of them uh, haven't been you know anywhere near any of that sort of celebration, particularly on, on behalf of the Carlton Football Club. So it was just hilarious to see the way they reacted to watching Peter Dean take a tumble. Glenn Manton joining us here on SEN. We've got a, quite a few text messages coming through, Glenn. Uh, Pete says... The Carlton v Cats game during the year at Princess Park was a great game and the highlight of the year. Do you remember that particular match where I think you won by a few points? I do remember that game. In fact, it may have been my first game for Carlton. I think it was, yeah, off the record here. Yeah, that must Mm. have been amazing, Mm. that experience. Yeah, look, playing at Optus Oval, and I guess this is one of the... strategic errors I think the club made was to to walk away from Optus Oval why you would ever give up or Princess Park Icon Park whatever you'd like to call it uh, why you'd walk away from a home ground regardless of where the the financial uh, line was drawn I I just don't understand like that ground was so incredible to play at the fans literally were at your fingertips and I honestly think certainly from my perspective that it was worth two or three wins minimum a year Mm. and so all of a sudden you've given that away and you've you've taken the club in a totally different direction but certainly in the heart of the 90s when we were able to play our football there uh, it was just it was just a wonderful space and a wonderful surface too many people would have uh, walked upon that particular ground over the years but it it really was a great surface and quite handy for defenders with some nasty little tricks up our sleeves we could push (laughs) people into pockets and get them out of the way quite easily on that particular ground as well. Yeah, you would have known the dimensions. John from Geelong asks, can you please ask Glenn the reason for him wearing the elbow support on his elbow throughout his career? <laughs> well, John from Geelong, I hope you're doing well down that way. Uh, long, long, long time ago, John, when I was 17, I cut my right arm in half. I uh, put it through a, a thick locksmith's shop front window in a fit of rage and anger. And uh, I was told I would never use my arm for anything uh, in any way, shape or form for the rest of my life. So I had to rehab my arm and uh, that arm guard actually did nothing for me physically. Uh, but psychologically, uh, there's a long story for another night, but psychologically that was something that I wore every game and for that matter, every training session to remind me of where I'd been, where I was and where I wanted to get to. So it's a brutal story and it's uh, it's one that has been shared in the media a little bit, but as uh, as highlighted by the question, not everyone's still sure of it. Yeah, absolutely. We're speaking with Glenn Manton here on SEN. Just in the lead up to that 95 grand final in the morning of Mm. and warming up in the rooms, how nervous did you feel? And obviously running out onto the ground as well. Absolutely nothing. Not not a single nerve. Not a single nerve. Damien, the night before, I slept like an absolute baby. I did not wake up. I I had a routine of going to bed at around probably 11 o'clock, maybe a little bit later before a game. I'm a bit of a night owl as it is. Mm. And uh, that night, I remember going to bed late and waking up at probably 10.30 and basically just jumping in the car and heading to the MCG and I was in the rooms uh, before 12, like I always was, and yeah, just super, super calm and, and super in, super enthused for the game, for want of a better word. It was just so exciting to be there and to be playing in that particular game against a great opposition. They didn't have the greatest day that particular day, the John Football Club, but 
not only were they a good team then, they're a good team now, and, and you know that they're a quality club, and you couldn't ask for anything more. The stage was set to, to simply enjoy the game, and I really did enjoy every second of it. Absolutely. It was quite one-sided in the end. I think one of the hair-raising moments from the game, and people forget about it a little bit, the fight that happened at half-time on the outer wing, which I think was started by Billy Brownless, of all people. Did mm-hmm. you partake in that brawl at all? It's it's extraordinary you bring that up, Damien. I, I honestly can't remember that. I, oh, really? I'm not, I'm not surprised that there was a skirmish or something of that nature. I mean, goodness me, it was football in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, but I really I can't remember it. And maybe the reason I can't remember it is because it was probably a, a case of too little, too late. I, I can quite honestly say that game was over before it began. We were that primed to win. Uh, across the board. I I knew we would win. There was no doubt in my mind. With the same clarity, which I knew we were going to really, really struggle in 1999. I'm not saying we were going to lose, but I knew that we had to have absolutely everything going our way Mm. to win win that particular game. I think when you've played enough sport, you realise where where the chips lie before the contest and and what you have to do to get uh, the best out of yourself and the team and as I said, 95, that was that was pretty much in the bag. We're speaking with Glenn Manton here on SEM, former Carlton and Essendon defender. What were the celebrations like after that 95 Premiership victory? Do you remember it, Fodler? <laughs> well, that is something I can't remember, Damien, <laughs> at all. <laughs> I know they went for a long, long time. I know we partied for uh, weeks and weeks on end, deservedly so, as most people do across the, the professional sporting landscape. You have so much emotion and time invested in the pursuit of uh, the championship or the award or whatever it may be that you're pursuing and uh, to have that release is just so important. Uh, I remember going to uh, the US with a a group of guys uh, for a bit of a a road trip across the US at the end of the year as part of our football trip, if you like, in inverted commas, Mm. uh, which was, you know, equally raucous and... um, an equally amount of fun uh, placed in that particular journey as well. So, look, to to win in Carlton with the the Carlton faithful again throughout that particular geographical space, it was just really, really pleasurable. Uh, Ligon Street really turned it on for us, which is something that uh, is is very gratefully accepted by those sorts of fans and supporters. So... Goodness me! If you could do it every day, I mean, it'd be the perfect tonic for 2020. Just to have something like that happen and uh, a chance for real, real enjoyment. And you know, again, we've had that taken away from us in in 2020 to a great extent, and we all miss it in our own way. We've probably all taken things for granted. Back in 1995, did you make a real concerted effort to embrace and enjoy the moment? Because premierships are not easy to win and you were still a relatively young player at that time. Did you, in retrospect, take it for granted or did you make a concerted effort to really enjoy it? Uh, I was 22 in 1995. Uh, Look, I don't take anything for granted. I never have with the sort of background that I've had and the experiences I've had in life back then and now. I, I just don't take anything for granted whatsoever. And uh, the thought that I would play in that grand final was, look, it was never even a driving factor for me. The, the actual medal uh, means very little to me. The experience, the connections, uh, the effort I put in both on and off the field and especially the relationships I have uh, with certain people, that's that's the great win out of the day. The, the small piece of medal or holding the Premiership Cup above your head, that's not the defining moment of the person or the game itself. 
We're speaking with Gleb Manton here on SCN. Just a few more before I let you go. We appreciate your time late on this Please. Tuesday evening. I've got nothing else to do, Damien. Stop saying that. I've got nothing else to do. I've been waiting, you to, waiting for you to call me all pandemic, and you finally got to me. <laughs> well, you mentioned 99 before. Since we are in finals mode at the moment, it'd be remiss of me not to bring up the 99 prelim final win against Essendon. And many Carlton fans, as I played in the intro, remember you kicking the first goal of the game within virtually oh, the first minute. Was it an instruction from David Parker to move forward? It certainly was. I mean, that was just ridiculous. It really was. I mean, <laughs> I, I probably, there was every opportunity for me to screw that up and kick a point. Uh, I, You know, it, you just hadn't really planned to play in that position. I, it's going to sound contradictory, but I knew I was going to play there. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, this really isn't going to roll out this way, is it? And I remember the handball coming over the top and, turning around and thinking, oh, well, I better put this through the, the correct the designated space here and uh, and get it right. And I don't know if you could have some sort of wager on uh, players kicking particular first goals back in that particular day. But if someone had have had a dollar on me kicking the first goal in that game, I'm sure they would have done very, very well. What was attention like in the final minutes of that prelim final, Glenn? Were you down in the congestion in the Essendon forward line as a defender when Dean Wallace looked like he was going to ram the ball down forward in the final moments? Well, there were there are actually a few different parts, Damien, worth noting. The first yep. one was McCurry's shot on goal. Oh, yes. Now, I played junior football with and against uh, Mark McCurry, and I just remember him kicking the ball and thinking, well, this is game over. He will kick this goal. And to see that go through for a point, I, I was literally gobsmacked. I couldn't believe it. And my jaw was almost to the ground, but it extended all the way when Dean Wallace decides to take on Fraser Brown. And it's just extraordinary footage. If anyone watches it from a, a really careful, uh, concerted perspective, Dean Wallace, like, the one great skill Dean Wallace had was that he could kick a ball 50 metres virtually all day, every day. He was a good, strong, long kick. And Fraser Brown, the one skill that he had was, well, he was dogged. He was never going to give up, uh, despite having probably not the most uh, blessed athletic ability. He certainly was an extraordinary footballer. Uh, and I just remember thinking, if he kicks this ball now, and you can imagine I'm talking about I'm watching the game, we're going to be in trouble because a high ball into the forward line, Essendon have great forwards, pressure, et cetera, et cetera. We're in trouble here. And then when he starts darting off, I think from memory, uh, darting off to the left, I think, uh, and Fraser Brown tackles him, I'm just like, wow, this is a get-out-of-jail card here. This is extraordinary. And, and it was tremendous pressure from Fraser Brown. And, and you know, that was the ball game right there. So that whole... Uh, moment, if you will, of the last five minutes of that game was incredible. And I do think it probably goes down as one of the top three games of all time. I think every mm. football supporter, who, who, no matter who they barrack for, can see the, the real uh, combative and uh, determined nature of both teams in that game. And we were very lucky to win it. It's just a shame that uh, that couldn't have been the grand final because that would have been a, a wonderful way for the year to finish. Well, ironically, I think a lot of people reflect on the prelim and refer to the prelim more so than the grand final that year when you think about it. And I know the grand final is far more significant, but because of how exciting that prelim was in historical perspective, it gets referred yeah. to and is replayed more often than the grand final. 
I couldn't agree with you more. And, and thankfully so, because we were pretty ordinary grand final day. We were out of juice. We were injured. We were tired. And we just weren't capable of competing as we normally would have, not to make excuses. But as I said earlier on the top of the, the interview, it's, uh, it was a case of trying to get things to fall in your favour on that particular day. It was never going to be easy. And, of course, they didn't. History shows we lost. Well, we'll touch on that 99 grand final after the break and we'll get to a number of the text messages because there are quite a few asking Glenn Manton questions here on SEN. We do this, of course, for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Back with Glenn Manton after this. Uh, Aaron, in regards to your thoughts on the 99 prelims, spot on Glenn, really well said. I was there that day. It was brilliant. And we'll get to more of your text messages and your questions shortly. Fire them through 0433981116. You mentioned that 1999 grand final, Glenn. Dom has texted through saying, Glenn just touched on the 99 grand final where, oddly enough, he played deep forward with John Blakey picking him up. But I wondered why he didn't play in defence on Corey McKernan or Craig Scholl. Can you enlighten us there? Well, I did end up uh, switching back, I think, at halftime or possibly even halfway through the second quarter to play on Corey McKernan. So uh, that particular listener, Dom, is is correct that that actually did take place. Uh, it was just probably too late. I think it was a, a trick that we used maybe once too many times over the course of that year and probably grand final day in terms of my uh, best contribution to the team. I, I probably should have started down back and, and just played the game out down back. Did Carlton simply run out of petrol tickets? I mean, David Parker described the Carlton side in 1999 coming into the final series. In fact, after that first final when you lost to Brisbane as B grade, did you overperform in a way or did you run out of petrol tickets on grand final day when you were still in the game up until probably halfway through the third quarter? Yeah, that's an interesting comment from David Park, and I'm not sure that I've ever heard that before. I don't think we were B-grade. I actually think we were a much better side than people realised that year. I just think, and again, if I could speak just for myself for that game, I came into that game carrying injuries, exhausted, uh, probably a little bit overwhelmed in terms of the workload that had gone on throughout the course of the year. And I think that's a reflection that most players uh, from that team would have brought into the game, if not the coaches themselves. And as I said, you'd need in those circumstances to just have a few little things go right for you early. And against a team like North Melbourne, who uh, they're a well-drilled team internally, they had some class players and you know, they just had uh, opportunities early to, to make us pay. And uh, yes, we were in the game, but at the same time, we were a long way off it as well. So it, it probably went to, well, it didn't probably, it went to the more deserving team on the day uh, without any doubt. We were not good enough on the day. Uh, but again, I, I can't highlight it enough. And anyone who's played enough sport of any sport knows that you just have a little inkling as to what it's going to take to win on any particular day. And, and for us, it was going to take uh, some sort of a miracle. Glenn Manton joining us here on SEM. We mentioned David Parkin. How influential has he been in your life? Because I'd imagine he's someone whose scope goes beyond footy as a teacher and someone who prepares young men for life after footy. I'll never forget meeting David Parkin for the first time. I was ready to sit down and hit him with three or four different cliches. And uh, the first thing he asked me is, how's my family? And how am I? And from that moment, he had me as a person. He had me as a friend. And I've actually been texting him quite regularly over the course of uh, this particular crisis that we find ourselves in, this mm. community uh, situation, just to see how he is and uh, how uh, how life is treating him. So, oh, look, I have enormous 
respect for David as a person, as a man. He's not perfect. None of us are. Uh, but he's always been very kind to me, uh, very true to me. He's told me a lot, a lot of things I haven't wanted to hear, but he's done he's done so uh, with a, a, a degree of respect and also with a manner that's, uh, I think, palatable. And as a result, you maintain and, and develop a further respect for, for people when they when they treat you that way. I, I do like the fact that he's a, an orator and, of course, he's, he's educated and we both share that same education and, and practice. So there's a lot in common there and there's a lot to enjoy about David Park and the person. Is it true he used to put so much effort into giving individual feedback on each player that he'd stay up all hours of the night providing a written, <laughs> like a handwritten report on each player would give you a grade on or a mark out of 10 or something yeah. as to how you played that particular week? Yes, that is true. And he'd often uh, crash out in inverted commas in his office and, and sleep on a couch. And he pushed himself too far. And I think it's a reflection of... Uh, a mismanagement of his own person and also of the game. And we still see it in, in the modern game. There's only so much film you can watch. There's only so many conversations you can have. If you're good at your job, less is always going to be more. And being able to manage people creatively is the key to success. I see some extraordinary things from afar done in terms of coaching and development of players in AFL, let alone other sports. I just sit back and shake my head and think, you, you really haven't come to terms with the time needed and also the person you're investing in. There's just a lot of overcompensation. We're speaking with Glenn Manton here on SEM. Brad has texted through saying, my school teacher was Dale Power, who was mates with Glenn. Glenn used to come to my school regularly to give us footy clinics and talk about life. A tremendous man. So that's Brad off the text machine. Just in regards to young players coming through, what are your thoughts on a lot of players from yesteryear say that the current day players... uh, probably don't enjoy the game as much and they often feel sorry for them. You came through a period where there was a transition from part-time footballer to professional footballer. Do you think players these days and your experiences on life as well, touching on that, do they enjoy the game as much now from the outside, from your observations? Well, I've got a piece of paper in front of me, Damien. I'll answer your question this way. If And please play along with me. If we agreed that you would attend the Carlton Football Club at 9am and on Monday, that would sound like a reasonable start time. Is that fair? Yep, absolutely. Yep. All right. Let's say you put in half an hour uh, with the physios and so forth before you get into half an hour of what I'll call prehab. So far, that's an hour. Yep. Then I, then I take you out on the track for an hour and then you hit the gym for an hour. Well, by my calculations, that's taking us up to right uh, to about 12pm. Yep. Are you with me? Yep. Yep. How much more can we do? How much more can we do? We might throw in maybe some rehab after the session, let's say 1pm. So from, from 1pm onwards, in my mind, you've got to be allowed to go and be a young person. You, you've got to go and become a part of the community. You have to find an outlet, a real outlet, not some sort of degree that you're taking seven years to mm. complete and it's only a two-year degree or whatever it may be, uh, and, and not some sort of half-assed job, something that you can really invest in and develop yourself uh, as a human being. And, and that little pattern that I worked on a piece of paper there with you, Damien, that's playing out every single day. So in my mind, uh, particularly with a young person in the current climate, just as an example, 
they're completely saturated with social media, with media in general, do they really need to sit down and watch, you know, three or four hours of film, et cetera, et cetera, on any particular week? I think they just tune out. I just know with my work with young people, for example, mm. my public speaking, they just want to hear real, raw, connected stories. They don't want glitz and glam. They actually want to feel the person. So I would suggest in the modern game that there is a huge degree of overtraining, not like we used to overtrain in the sense of 100-meter sprints, but this justification that if you're paying someone $100,000, you know, they have to be there for 100,000 hours. It doesn't work that way. Mm. You're looking to give people the opportunity to develop both on and off field, and that's such a cliche because I still don't think a lot of clubs have any understanding of what that really looks like. If you want the best out of your young people, male and female, then you need to have truly a holistic approach. There needs to be very individual programming and you need to work on that premise. I mentioned this earlier, less is more, less is more. How much training can you possibly do in one day? I, as I said, I trained today down at the Newport Athletics track, an hour of running, that's it. I don't need to run for an hour and a half. I don't need to run for two hours and neither do these AFL athletes or for that matter, any athlete. I think that's the interesting thing is the bubble experience. Maybe some clubs will have a better handle on what they need to do. Uh, and, and to me, that's to work out just how much uh, leg rope you need to give to each individual. Of course, some of them will let you down. Some of them will make mistakes. But again, with good communication and real relationships, you should be able to develop and, and if you like groom a young person fill your team so they understand exactly how to create their own sense of balance if I was an AFL coach there wouldn't be a single player on my list that didn't have a genuine job that they're working every week mm. yeah that's very well said uh, we're speaking with Glenn Manton here on SEN just in relation to the current day Carlton Football Club of course you retired around 2002-2003 that period when obviously the whole salary cap situation blew up. Uh, is there something you can put your finger on as to why the Blues haven't been as successful as they once were, both on and off the field in the last probably 17 or 18 years? I know it's hard because you're on the outside, but is there something you can put your finger on? Oh, absolutely. They had poor choices as head coach. It's that simple. And there was uh, one in particular, I'm, I'm not going to highlight it, and there's no need for you to either, Damien, but any supporter of any club, uh, let alone the football club, football club, will know who that is. And that person's, uh, I guess, toxicity uh, has penetrated that club, and the club has allowed it to be uh, part of the, the woodwork, if you like. It's really crept into the grain and it really hasn't been recovered. If you're going to renovate, restore something properly, you have to be very honest about what the roots of that particular restoration entail. Uh, as anyone who's listened to this from Go To Way will, will have picked up early that I love my cars. Well, you, you can't just restore one area of rust. You've got to do the entire car if you're going to do the right thing by that vehicle and its preservation moving forward. And I think, unfortunately, the current football club still hasn't taken the necessary time to address some of the issues that it has at its core. And that toxicity is still there because I just don't think the value against relationships and communication is where it should be. I think it's probably getting better. As you rightly say, I'm not in the mix right now, but you've got years and years of really challenging and negative communications that have affected individuals and a culture. 
And it's still going to take someone very brave to really identify that, possibly look for some way to forgive it and apologise for it genuinely, and then move forward uh, with a, a really progressive, positive attitude. Uh, I think it's, it's still a little ways off for the Carlton Football Club. Thomas texted through Glenn saying, I remember Glenn Manton after his AFL days playing two years at Albion in the Western League, winning the grand final in 2010. He played a big part in the win, having a great game, taking great marks in the back line, plus kicking goals in the forward line. It was great playing and training alongside him. Do you remember those days fondly playing local footy? I absolutely adore the guys that I played football with at the Albion Football Club. It was a very, very difficult time in my life. I was going through a a really, really brutal separation and then divorce, uh, one that I just never imagined would be a part of my life. And I went to that football club with (laughs) absolutely uh, no, uh, I guess, desire to play football. I went down there on a Thursday night just to share in a bit of a conversation and wish them well for the season. Next thing you know, I'm I'm playing football for them, Damien, over the course of the year. And I actually played in the first game uh, against uh, Sunshine, which was an arch rival of the Albion Football Club. And I, I injured myself. I played poorly. I, I, uh, I guess, denounced my match fee and said that uh, I'd let the club down and that I'd go away and decide whether I wanted to be serious about this game or not and uh, playing football again because I hadn't played football gaming since I retired. And I remember my eldest son at the time said, Dad, you went and played for Albion. What's all that about? And, you know, the club got smashed by 15 goals and, you know, it looks pretty ordinary, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, Oscar, I've, I played poorly and I'm not even sure if I'm going to play. What do you think I should do? Mm. And he said, Dad, I don't, I don't think you should play. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you're shit. And I said, <laughs> really? That's, that's what you're telling me. You're telling me that I'm, I'm no good and I can't play. He said, yeah, Dad, I think you're finished. I said, wow. I said, I'll tell you what, Oscar, I am now more determined than ever to play. And I promise you right here and now, we will win the grand final this year. I promise you that that will happen this year. And I just played with a, a wonderful group of guys who uh, were very talented. There were some very, very talented players there, but really dedicated to doing the right thing. Uh, they were cheeky as hell, as you'd hope they would be. And uh, they had a lot of spunk. But in terms of playing in a football side... I enjoyed that year in particular as much as I've enjoyed playing in any sport at any time. And uh, I'm really, really grateful to have many of those guys from that team still in my life as friends. Glenn Manton, former Essendon and Carlton defender, joining us here on SEN. As I let you go, Glenn, there's a couple of text messages here. Firstly, from Murray in Geelong. Is Glenn's son, Oscar, going to come to Carlton under the father-son rule? Another text message saying, where is Oscar at with his football? Tell us a little bit about your boys and obviously mentoring them through potential football career. Yeah, so I've got three children. So I've got Oscar, who's my eldest. Uh, he turns 21 next year. Archie, who's my middle son, he turns 20. And my daughter, Shoshi, turns 17 on uh, on Halloween this year. So her aspirations for her sport don't seem to extend to football at this point in time. And I appreciate that. She is a tremendous little athlete. It's very, very powerful. Uh, my middle son, Archie, is about six foot four. Uh, spent the last five years uh, playing basketball at a very high level across this country and was probably going to head down that path until uh, last year when he, he turned around and he decided he wanted to play in the NAB Cup where he did quite well. 
Uh, but the knock on him was that he hadn't played enough football, um, which is disappointing. Mm. Disappointing that that's the knock on someone, they haven't played enough football. I think that's a little strange. And then Oscar, uh, he's roughly my height, so he's about six foot two, but he's got my long arms and he's got a real ability to run and he's a, he's a beautiful user of the ball. Uh, but he's just always been very, very light. Uh, so he's spent this particular year more than any other time probably moving up to a position where he can genuinely compete uh, with people of a greater size and shape than, than he has been uh, historically. He was lucky enough to play with the Northern Blues last year and, and play quite well towards the end of the year. Uh, so really, Damien, they're at the mercy of the gods like every other young AFL footballer wanting to play football moving forward. There's no guarantees. Unfortunately, I think a lot of clubs base their selections on wanting somebody who's ready-made. Uh, I don't think there's such a thing as a ready-made footballer. Some of your listeners might say, you know, a, a row or something is a, a ready-made footballer, and he's not. <laughs> you play one season, a handful of games, you, you're not ready-made. You, you don't really start to come into your own, honestly, as a footballer and or as a person after two or three years. Uh, a lot can happen in a football career, both uh, positively and negatively. So my sons, and, and for that matter, my daughter, are, are no different to any other young athlete, they need a, a little degree of luck, but they certainly have the talent, they certainly have the ability, they just need to fall under the eye of somebody who wants to take them under their wing and, and develop them as they should as a person and as a player in much the same way in which my career went from being rather on-off and in, in some respects stagnant to all of a sudden accelerating with Carlton and before you know it, you've you've played over 200 games and you've had a, a wonderful time and an enjoyable time doing it. So, you know, fingers crossed coming out of this particular time into 2021, they can just find their, their right spot in life. Absolutely. And uh, one more question has just come through off the SMS. Nick says, Glenn, love the interview. Any chance of being a Carlton youth mentor type coach if they offered you a position? I, I would always extend my hand to assist the Carlton Football Club and, and work with the club. And in that development space, it's something that I've spent the last 25 years uh, doing throughout the community, whether it's uh, in private schools or prisons. Uh, I've spent an enormous amount of time with young people and, and developing young people. And I'd like to think that my credentials are second to none. But uh, in terms of me inviting myself, that's, that's the party. You can't... Uh, you can't just turn up to it with a bunch of streamers and knock on the door and bounce, bounce in. You have to be invited and it has to be the right fit. So time will tell. I hate saying things like that. It's so cliched. But uh, time will tell as to how that plays out. If it's not the Carlton Football Club, it might be another football club. And if it's not any football club, well, then I'll always enjoy the work I do in education in particular and working with young people on a daily basis. I can't wait to get back to it. Yeah, I think we all hope and pray that we'll get back to normality soon. Hey, Glenn, really appreciate your time on this Tuesday night. It's been an engrossing chat and a number of texters and listeners have come through, appraised your words of wisdom, and not only about football, but also in regards to life as well. All the best for the future and thanks again for giving up your time. Uh, Damien, I think it should be noted to your, your listenership that uh, you have uh, been very generous to me and off air you suggested, do I have time to continue with this interview? <laughs> I need to make it super, super clear. I've got all the time in the world, my friend, so please don't ever hesitate to give me a yell. And if any of your uh, your listeners want to contact me directly, you can do so via social media. I'm always happy to talk to people. Oh, brilliant stuff. Thanks again, Glenn. Have a good remainder of your night. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to your claim lawyers. 
no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Thanks very much, Dave. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.